youth, you may go to class. We're going to be in Luke 23 today. So if you want to turn there, we'll be in Luke 23, 32 through 43. Um, before we begin, um, I did like what Delacia was talking about, and I sort of talked about it last week, is he is my comfort. That does not mean that we get a comfortable life. That does not mean that because we follow Jesus, everything works out. You know, a lot of times in uh, the thinking of my victory is usually, uh, and it is, it's, it's God's victory. It's his victory, and it's through him and, uh, that gets it all, and all the praise, and all the glory, and all the honor. Um, last Friday night, we had game night here, and so uh, we had uh, a different games going on. Um, I'm not going to tell you uh, those that got upset who lost, Carol, um, so... There, uh, there was a nice little game night and uh, just a fun laughter. And so I'm going to challenge you, if you are at game night or if you weren't at game night, and we've been uh, pushing this a little bit, uh, I want to challenge you in the next two weeks to do something with your neighbors. And that might be a game night. That might be, hey, I'm going to take them out to eat or have them over to eat. I'm going to challenge to, uh, this might be radical, Love our neighbor with no hidden agenda, no nothing, just love your neighbor. And so in the next two to three weeks, it, it, it was so much fun that all of a sudden then uh, we're playing games and then the game stopped and we just started telling funny stories that our little kids have done. And we're laughing, all the embarrassing moments that they put you through uh, and uh yeah, I don't want to tell any right now because then it will be on video. Um, but it was, it was good. It was laughter. And I think we're called to love God and we're supposed to love our neighbors. And I think people would love that. And so I'm challenging you to, to partake in that uh, in the next two weeks. Um, so I, I hope that's something that you would look at doing. I'm also excited that we as a church, and if you um, want to continue to uh, process uh, where we're at, usually on the sheet that you're given, it says the readings that's coming up. We want to be a church. We've already seen it this last month that when we're reading the same thing, people can, are discussing similar topics, and that's been really refreshing. Uh, I then speak on one of the five chapters that you've read, so you've already come in sort of hearing what I'm going to be speaking about, and we just want to continue to um, hopefully positively take that to the next step of, of learning together, growing together, being able to communicate. You can keep reading other stuff. That's fine. I'm just encouraging us as a church to continue to read the New Testament together because I am guaranteeing you our goal is for the Word to get into you, the Bible to get into you. And that, that's going to do so much more than rather of, oh, I like the way the pastor spoke today. Like, that's great and all, but I want the word to be the one that is the final say. This is, this is, the, this is the direction, okay? So use that, and uh, let's use that as our guide. So we're in Luke 23 today. I'm really excited about that. And we are going to be focusing on the criminals on the cross. And I, I've always found this story uh, interesting. 
but I also want us to take a look at Jesus in a joy and amazement and actually seeing who Jesus really is in this moment. So before we begin, let's pray. Dear Father, may the words that come out of my mouth be from you and not me. May we be able to hear you. May hardened hearts be broken down by what you say. May forgiveness that hasn't been in the heart, may that come because of you. May whatever is taught today, may we be able to see you for who you really are and the joy and amazement for what you have done for us on the cross and after. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Luke 23, 32 through uh, 43, uh, we're just going to read it, and then we will um, uh, move on to the next uh, part. First up here, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they uh, divvied up his clothing by casting lots. The people stood watch, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. So before we get to the criminal of the cross, I just want to do a little back check of what has happened in Luke. Okay, some of you maybe have not read this. Uh, but we're, I'm not going all the way. This is, this is sometimes hard building up because the, the Bible is this beautiful, beautiful illustration and beautiful life instruction, beautiful book of telling how Jesus is. Uh, it, it, it's just this whole process of where do I even begin? It's like you see all these miracles and you want to go with there. I, I started where, where Jesus is praying at the Mount of Olives. So he, he says this, he says, to his disciples, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Okay, that's verse. And so, uh, so that was, the. remember we just talked about what the Lord's prayer is. Lead us not into temptation. What that really means is, is stay focused on me. Stay directed on God. Stay there. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's praying because he knows what's coming. He's, he's praying to stay focused onto what God wants, what, what the plan is. And an angel, uh, in verse 43, it says, Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And as Jesus is praying, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. The the Spirit and him are one. They're connected. They're there. And the the angel then comes and strengthens him. Then after that, 
the next sort of story is then Jesus is captured by a kiss from Judas. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Then next, it leads on, he's, he gets taken. Then Peter disowns Jesus. After Peter had talked about, I would never disown you, I won't be there. And then he sees Jesus after the rooster crows, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus, and what's he do? He goes out and weeps bitterly. Then, the, in verse 64 in chapter 22, the guards mock and beat Jesus by blindfolding him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? They're mocking him. Then Jesus is brought at daybreak to the council of elders and to the people, both of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. During the day, Jesus says, he says to them, oh, this is just amazing. But from now on, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And at that moment, they are done with Jesus. They are basically, Jesus is basically saying, I mean, we are one. God and I, and this is blasphemy in their eyes. And they are done. So the assembly, they take him to Pilate. They take him to Pilate because they know the Romans are the ones that have to kill him. But you know what's funny is Pilate says, and I quote, there's no basis for a charge against this man. The chief priest and the crowd do not like this. So then, Pilate, finding out that Jesus was from Galilee, he sent him to Herod's jurisdiction because we'll let Herod deal with it. And Herod loved this because he would get to see Jesus do some signs and wonders and how basically see like, oh, do something for me. But Jesus stands silent and doesn't. So he sends him back to Pilate. And in verse 15 of 23, it says, Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Again, the findings that Jesus is innocent. Think about that. That Jesus is considered innocent and not deserving of death by the Romans. And yet... The crowd says he is guilty and deserves death. So if you're looking right before the part of the criminals on the cross, I, I want us to see this because I think this is what carries the weight of what is going to happen with the criminal on the cross. Yes, the leaders, the council of elders, the chief priest, and the teachers of the law wanted this all to happen that, for him to die. But the crowd also makes a choice. The crowd, everyone makes a choice. Because they release Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate thought for sure they would release Jesus. Have you ever thought something was going to go a certain way? Certain direction. And then it flips on you. I wasn't going to do this, Bob, but I thought for sure Purdue was going to win yesterday. But they did it. No, it's okay. Uh, sorry, Purdue fans. Uh, but like, have you ever thought, like, he thought, I could find a way out. I could get out of this. I'm gonna, I'll release Jesus or Barabbas. And the crowd makes a decision. They, they've made a decision. The leaders have riled them up. But they, at some point, we all make a decision. And they made a decision. They shout by saying, crucify him, crucify him. I, I like uh, reading this quote. It uh, was uh, 
quite uh, almost insane. It says, it's a strange passage when you see a ruthless Roman governor trying to spare the life of Jesus. Trying to figure it out, except the fact that the crowd says, crucify him, crucify him. So, but I want to get this right as well. This was God's plan. God is in charge. Jesus was delivered into the Father's will of the eternal purpose of what God has in store. Yes, Pilate did not have the courage or the the vitriol to say, nope, this isn't right, this is what we're doing. No, he didn't. So what's he do? He rejects Jesus and frees, well, and basically frees Barabbas. So at this time, Jesus at this time is still in good health. Okay? He's probably tired. He stayed up all night. He was emotionally drained. He's sweating. You know, he sweated out blood. He, he's there, but he hasn't been there. There's not this, this burden, but He's now been, he was probably, he was beaten one time already. And so now he gets taken. And when it is decided that it is time for Jesus to suffer the consequences, not Barabbas, the physical and emotional stress and pain begins. And I think so many times, too, we look at the physical, and there is definitely physical stress there. But he is also realizing his disciples have deserted him. You know, when he saw Peter, that's why Peter wept bitterly. He did not stay there. He was gone. He's there. He's by himself. This is a, this is a physical, emotional, tired. He is, it is a, it is a, he is in it. And before he takes the cross, he's whipped. He's scourged. Edwards says it this way, Scourging was a legal preliminary to every Roman execution, and only women and Roman senators or soldiers were exempt. Say, except if a Roman soldier uh, dissented, he too would be um, whipped. It says, The goal of the whipping was to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse and death. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions, and the leather thongs with, a sheep, with sheep bones would cut into the skin and go under the skin of the tissue. Then, as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeleton muscle and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for shock. The extent of blood loss very well would determine how long the victim would survive on the cross. We're not just talking about the cross. We're talking what led up to the cross. This is what Jesus is going through. He is going through this, the whippings, the beatings, the mockery. They're basically, the, the mockery is just everywhere. Who hit you? You know, you're God, you're prophesied, you should know. So even right before the 
actual crucifixion itself. Jesus' physical condition was at the very least very serious, and he was probably already in critical condition. And that is then, they, they strip him of his clothes. So now he's out basically out naked for the world to see, or just a one loincloth as he's humbly before other people, beaten and bruised. And now he's supposed to carry this cross. Overall, the whole cross weighed around 300 pounds, but usually the one beam was already at Calvary. So he just had to carry the other part of the cross, which was around 75 to 125 pounds. But he's in critical condition as he's carrying this cross up. And that's why then it leads to the story, and I'm, I'm just going to skip over, not really skip, but Simeon. And then we also deal with the, the daughters of Jerusalem as they help Simon, as Simon, I mean, Simon helps carry the cross up and carry it for him. And as the group talked about on Sunday school, it was about six and a half football fields uphill. Like, this is not like, hey, I'm just going around the corner. This is a long drag. And think about it, as he's carrying the drag, or he's carrying the cross through this whole crowd, people are mocking, making fun, because who's he with? He's with two other criminals that deserve death. And people were usually there because they were seeking justice. They're seeking the justice. They're like, yeah, I know what that person did. The problem is, is Jesus is lumped in there, and he doesn't deserve any of that. He doesn't deserve any of it. And it shows what's going on is the, the pain and suffering of what Jesus is, is carrying. And as he then turns to the daughters of Jerusalem, he's talking about two things here as we get to the two criminals. He's talking of the eye of the, basically, that the fall of Jerusalem is going to be coming. And then, but he also talks about this, and, and Spurgeon says this really well. Ye need not weep because Christ died one-tenth, so that much as because your sins rendered it necessary that he should die, you need not weep over the crucifixion, but weep over your transgressions. For your sins nailed the Redeemer to the accuser's tree. To weep over a dying Savior is to lament the remedy. It were wiser to bewail the disease." So he's calling out to these daughters of Jerusalem, why are you crying? And what the reason is you're crying, you should weep over the sins that put him there. And this leads then to the criminals on the cross. There were two, and they were led with him up there. They were probably in very similar situations, very critical, serious, as they too go to the cross. And they're taken to Calvary, which means place of the skull. And it's the place where criminals are crucified. And many people have different reasons why it, looked, it was the, called the skull. Some thought like it sort of looked like the skull mountain. Some were because of exactly what happened there. Most people died in the skulls of men. The, the practice of crucifixion in that time needed no explanation. People knew what was going on. They knew the pain and suffering. The Roman soldiers had become experts at it. And at this point, the victim's back had been torn open. Jesus' back is, is torn open 
Blood is flowing. And at this point, they then nail his wrist to the cross. Some people have, they say here and here, but most people believe now that would be here because that's where they could hold him up. And they would also wrap rope around and they would hold him up. And the reason why they really pick here too is because when they would do that, it would hit a nerve and it would tense him up so much that the hand would basically become a, like, a, like a crawl, like a claw. I mean, like it's so tense. And so then it could hold him up on there. And he's now on the cross. And the main reason that this person could breathe is he's also got his nails is he has to lift himself up to get full lungs to get air. So you're now in pain and you're down here in suffering and you got cuts open and, and everything is bleeding and you are in this position and you are down and to get a good amount of breath, you would have to pull yourself up to get a breath and then go back down to get yourself the breath needed. There is pain and suffering in this. Jesus was considered to be one of the shorter ones. Because it's short ones, there were people up there for days. Extreme pain. It was also to be known that there were insects around the area. And they would also leave them at so, so long that they would have other animals come and take care of the leftover bodies. But as Jesus is up there, Again, his back scratched from the wood as he pulls himself up and he breathes. There's another criminal. There's actually two up there. And they start talking. In the other versions, both of them start by mocking Jesus. They join in with the crowd. They join in. One is almost sarcastically like, if you are the Son of God, save us. You know, like, you know, so he's like, almost like, I'm mocking, but like, if you really are, save us. Like, I, I want to be in if you can really do it, but like, are, you're not really it. Because if you really were, and it's so much a human, if you really are who you were, you were save yourself. I've known this story since I was a little kid. You know, I was lucky enough to grow up in a church. I was lucky enough to to know what Jesus had done. I'll tell you this week, it, it affected me a little bit different, even more, knowing that at any moment, Jesus did not have to be on that cross. I started thinking how I would handle it. I would have, I would have been gone a long time, but if you, know, if you know me at all, and a few know me from high school and college, I have a quick tongue. I could talk back with the best of them. I like to play basketball, and I could see people's weakness, and I would attack it all day, all day. And I was thinking, on the cross, someone would probably say something, and I would be like, I would come back with a quick statement. Really got them. But there's nothing I could do to get off the cross. There's nothing I could have done to, like, get down and punch one soldier. Like, there's nothing I could have done. Jesus, in one, like, anything, 
could have released the angels and went nuclear on everybody. Like he could have, he could have done anything. He could have gotten off there and said, let's go. You want to see the Son of God? You want to see who God is? It could have happened. Uh, we saw it, the flood of Noah. We, we saw it like they're the mighty, the power, the almighty God. To be that close to the Spirit, to be that close to the God, to, to stay up there, it's one thing when you can't do anything and you just have to take it. It's another thing when you can do something about it and you do what God wants. That is different. Because for me, I would, I would have been mocking. I would have been like, no, like, you're in the wrong. Like, I would have said something. But man, I'm so glad that Jesus was so close to the Father, he knew his mission. He was so close to God that he knew that this was what it was all about. That's why he was saying, if, if it's too much, take this cup from me. Like, we have to know that. And even in that moment, even there, as he's up there on the cross, he says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What a statement. What a statement of saying, they don't know what they're doing. And even at this time, the others, people are still mocking him, getting his garments. And then they post a sign above him. This is the king of the Jews trying to mock him. In reality, he is the king. He is the king. And then in this moment, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then one of the criminals, and we're at verse 39, who was hanging blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. This is an incredibly an ironic story in the sense that, and I like how Bach puts it, one of the commentaries has said, the righteous one dies while being targeted by the unrighteous. At the start, like we said, both criminals were mocking Jesus, but as time goes by, the second criminal, and we see it right here, he sees something in Jesus that changes his mind and heart towards Jesus. Something is happening on the cross where he sees, starting to see Jesus for who he is, what he is. This is what I'm talking about when he was so close to the Father. Jesus was so close to the Father, he knew his mission. How many times uh, as us as Christians, when we are offended, or we are persecuted a little bit, or something doesn't go wrong, we are done with people. We're like, I am done with that person. That person has crossed me. That person has done this. I am done. I am not talking to them ever again. We, we say we follow Jesus. We say we follow Christ. And in this situation, Jesus is literally hanging on a cross, being mocked by two guys that deserve to be up there. He doesn't. He has the utmost righteousness. He is the righteous above all, and he is being mocked. And he 
still loves these people. And how quickly for us do we turn from people when they hurt us? He was so in tune with the Spirit that then this one criminal, this one horrible criminal, and like we talked about, uh, they talked about in Sunday school, this criminal was not just up there for like, oh, I, I stole a piece of candy. Most of the time, Roman soldiers would use able-bodied people. They would use people to work the camps, work different areas. Like, they're not just going to do it. They either murdered someone. They're, like, they're, this, is, this is a high-level crime. There is justice that needs to be done. There has to be that. So he is up there with two people that justly deserve death. And he does not. And he is loved. And he is up there. And so what is amazing is that one of them sees Jesus for who he truly is. And then this is the process. And I, I'm going through um, this commentary because I think it puts it ex- exactly how I wanted to say it he, uh, by Guzik. He responds to the, uh, to the criminal seeing Jesus for who he is. At first, it says, the second criminal respected God. And he did that by saying, do you not even fear God? So he respected. First, he's like, do you not even fear God? Like, he sees Jesus for who he is. Next, he goes, he knew his own sin. So we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. He sees the sin. He sees that I deserve to be up here on the cross. I deserve to die. I deserve the punishment that I am getting. This man does not. So he knew Jesus. He knew the man had done nothing wrong. And what's he do? He calls out to Jesus. He said to Jesus. He called out to Jesus as Lord. You have to think in this situation too. This man is on the cross and he is in pain too. He is in pain too and he is processing the end of his life. He is processing everything as he sees this man and it's something's not right. So why is this man up here when I, I'm up here? There is something not wrong. So he calls out to Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And at that moment, he believed Jesus was who he was. He believed that Jesus was in charge of the kingdom. He believed the promise of everlasting life with Jesus. And then Jesus says, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, I love this. I love paradise. Because usually the word paradise refers to garden. Where else is a prominent garden in the Bible? You can answer. Garden of Eden? The garden? Like paradise? Like where God and Man are one, we're before the sin, before the fall, before it. Like, this is a beautiful representation. He says, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not next week, not when you do all this stuff for me. Today. Today. Oh, it's so beautiful of what an example of what it is to, to see Jesus say that today, today you will be with me in paradise. How ugly of a sight from our minds it was seeing Jesus up there, but also how beautiful it was for Jesus to stay up there. In the sense that at any moment, he could have called the angels. He could have done any of that kind of stuff. And at that moment, 
Think about everyone who th- uh, is thinking that Jesus had lost and they had won. Right? Satan probably assumed he had won. The Son of God is dead. The Pharisees were done with him. Finally, get rid of him. Like everyone had thinking, like, get rid of him. Have any of you seen the movie The Passion? Yeah, most people have. I'm not like saying like, you know, like it's with everything. Like some people say, oh, it's got this part right and this part wrong. Um, it's just a hard watch. Even the PG-13 version is a hard watch because you're seeing what it is. And Mel Gibson, the director, um, actually at the one scene when they nail the, cro- uh, the, the nails into his wrist, he actually filmed his hands being the ones that nailed him in. Like, so, because he, like, wanted it to represent, like, my sin was the one that put him on the cross. And, but it's really, it's all of us. All of our sin put him up there. But let's not get it twisted. Jesus stayed up there for us. He knew. And he succeeded in conquering the death. And the thief saw Jesus for who he truly was. I want you to walk today away uh, to with the thought of the man on the cross and the criminal on the cross. He didn't do a single thing on the cross except to believe Jesus, who he truly is. Just so you know, the criminal on the cross didn't go to church on Sunday. He didn't give to the poor. He didn't volunteer at the soup kitchen. He didn't sing in the choir. And I'm not, those are all great things. But if you think you can earn it, you are greatly mistaken. Yes, we are supposed to walk the path, live the path, do that. But don't think for a second that it wasn't Jesus that does it all. Jesus is all that it can take and all that it is that it takes. Jesus is the salvation. He didn't do that all that. He didn't walk up that six and a half football field with a cross, take the beating to do that and say like, yeah, but you also have to do this. You have to see Jesus for who he truly is. What a joy and what an amazement. And it, it hurts to see that that's what it took. But it's also like you get to see what Jesus is, how much he loves you. Have you ever experienced someone sacrifice so much for you and it like affects you because they love you that much? They were at an event or something that you know they didn't have to show up to, but they were there and it it was there. That's how much Jesus went through much worse than that, but how much gratitude and joy and excitement for that. I'm asking, do we view Jesus that way? Do we look at Jesus as, that's all I need. That's all I, I believe. That your kingdom come, your will be done, because it's all you. I can't earn it. I just believe it, and I have faith in it. And because of that, I will live it out. But I don't earn anything. It was done by his blood alone. The criminal did not earn his salvation. He saw Jesus for who he truly was the Lord of lords, King of kings. But I realize also at twos, I am the criminal, deserving of death. 
And how do I look at Jesus? I want to look at Jesus in awe and amazement because I want us to move just ahead in Luke 24, 36 through 43. If you have a chance to turn there. It's when Jesus appears to the disciples. You have to imagine the reason why I got so descriptive, and I know Easter's coming, I got so descriptive in the, the death of Jesus is like these men had lived with him. His disciples have been with him. They've seen this, and now they see this man. They can't even recognize him, probably with all the crown and blood and the pain, and he's de- now he's dead, and what do they do? And they, they're, they feel lost. And then in verse 36, it says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace, to you. peace be with you. What a moment. What a moment that they, they're like, what? Like, think about if you were in that room. And they go, they were startled and frightened, to say the least, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts raise in your mind? minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And I like this verse. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. I want us to walk away. I think so many times when we get to church, it's a, it's a process of like, okay, I have to do this to do better. I have to do this because God's going to love me better. Or I do this because i got to take this sin. Yeah, I, God does not want sin in your life. He wants you to avoid it. I'm not going away from that at all. But I also think we cannot forget who Jesus is, what he did, his life process, and then what he did at the cross and what he conquered. It can't be anything that we did or earned. And I want us to take a look at that. Yeah, we can weep and be sad for the things that we did, but we also can be celebrate and look at Jesus in joy and amazement because he did it all for us. And all we have to do is believe and trust in that. And the main challenge that I have for you is we don't get to share the joy if we don't see what the joy has done for us. And the reason why I say that is so many of us have in our own life, I have to earn this, I have to do this, and then Jesus will be right with me, or this didn't work out this way, so Jesus must be far from me. Actually, when, when stuff is going bad, you're supposed to run to Jesus, and Jesus is right there with you just as when it's as bad as when it is good. But do you trust in it? Do you see him like the criminal on the cross? Let's just say the criminal on the cross was in a bad moment. There was nothing he could do to get off that cross. There was nothing he does. How amazing was it that he was right next to the true Savior? And both of them, both criminals had the same view. There are two criminals up there. 
One saw it, one didn't. One saw Jesus for who he was and one didn't. I'm asking you to see who he was. I was talking with, uh, with Brad and he, brought, he says this quote and I go, there's not a thief up there that represent uh, the moderate or safe zones. Whether you like it or not, your life is responding to a bloody savior hanging on a cross in one of two ways. Either I'm with him or I'm against him, period. There's two ways. And I, I, as a criminal on the cross, see Jesus as the true Savior. The one, remember me in paradise. Remember me. And I ask you to do the same. Whenever things get rough or whatever things are hard, look to him. Remember me. Look to him at any moment of your life. Because when you do that, that leads to true loving and living for Jesus. Let's pray and worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I pray that as we go out today that we realize that it's all you, that you are the true God, and we get to just live in joy in that, in the amazement of the fact that you died and then rose again in, a new bo- in your body, and that people... And the disciples were so in shock and in joy and amazement of who you are. May we live like that. May we live in knowing that it all rests on you because what you did on that cross and then rising again three days later. Thank you again for your love. Thank you again for who you are. May we continue to worship you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.